creation over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. thought that the Lord Jesus Christ looks at the whole world and says, that's all mine, and let my will be done in all of it. And I'd like to sort of explore that thought um, over the next few weeks in various ways. He said it in Dutch. It was in 1880 at the opening of a university, but I think it translates very well into England in the 21st century. The claim is that Christ is Lord not only of the believer's heart in my personal space and in the assembly of the church in our the cave that we're in, as it were, but he is also Lord of the high street, the football pitch, the concert hall, the record industry, London Road, Houses of Parliament, the artist's studio. He is Lord of all. And that, I think, is a very key idea to fire us and motivate us in praying and in living the Christian life and in serving the Lord. Um, So I'd like to persuade us that rightly understood, this means that Christians should have a very positive approach to all sorts of activities in what you might say ordinary life as uh, distinguished from just being, you know, prayer meetings and Bible studies. And in uh, thinking about this, let's pray, shall we? Lord, help us as we think about these things together, that we may think rightly and in a way that pleases you, in a way which equips us to live in this confusing world. Amen. 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 Um, I'd like to think, not just in the, the level of sort of rules and regulations, but in the level of approach, how Christians approach things, or you might put it like this, how Christians, the mindset of the Christian, uh, the Christian mind. Let me get my Bible. We're going to look at Luke. I'm going to look at a number of verses, so to be quite quick. Luke 10, 27. Um, <clears throat> the way we think about things, uh, the Christian mindset, if you like. Uh, in Luke 10, 27, Jesus um, asked the guy, uh, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the chap replied in Luke 10, 27, you shall love the Lord your God. I'm right, isn't it? It's the lawyer that says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And this is Jesus saying to him, you've answered correctly. And you notice that in there, the, the totality of human humanness, which we'll hopefully think of next week, um, He's not saying you're made of these five components. He's saying that let's, if we want to sum everything up about being human, uh, which is w- everything that the Lord wants us to love him with, soul, heart, soul, strength, mind, everything. And it does include the thinking bit. So it's right for us uh, to cultivate our thinking. There's a quote I guess it, I think it was John Stott in the 1970s that the student said, when I go to church, I want to take my head off and leave it at the door. And that is not the Christian way. A Christian isn't just sort of all heart. There is, uh, it's every part of us as it's detailed there. So I'd like us to 
to sort of equip ourselves to think, I went over to my daughter's last, was it last week or the week before, uh, and um, I'm just trying to think what it was I was trying to do. I was trying to... Um, do you know, I've forgotten which, what it was. I was, I was trying to cut something. I might, might cut something or undo something. And I didn't have the right screwdriver. And I, I couldn't get any purchase on what I was trying to turn. And um, I was just sunk, really. You need the right tools to get to grips with any particular issue. And when we're thinking about spiritual things, uh, we need the right tools and uh, the tools come in the shape of uh, ideas, words, uh, tools for thinking so that we can uh, undo things or we can separate something from something else or we can say this is that, that's that, that goes there, this goes there and begin to sort things out. And I've got three uh, sort of tool words, so theological words, um, creation, world, and then I've, I had, I've got three words there, providence and common grace. And uh, I'd like us to, uh, to start this series by getting these tools out, having a look at them together, trying to work out what we can use them for, and hopefully as we go on through, we'll be able to get these tools, these theological tools working. So let's think about creation. Would you like to turn to Genesis Chapter 1, which is a good place to turn for creation. It's at times like this, I wish I hadn't lost my old Bible, because my old Bible had all sort of neatly lines and underlinings and things, and now I'm I'm, I'm still, I'm floundering a little bit. Um, Genesis 1, from verse 1. Let's see, how far shall we go? Up to verse 13. Let's just take that bit. Um, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 13. Would somebody volunteer to read that for us? Just sitting down where they are. Nice, loud voice. Anybody? Maria? Yeah. 
Thank you very much. Now, I don't want to, to sort of spend too much time on this, but um, I think we're, we're familiar with what we have here. We have six days and then a seventh day, which is open-ended. One, two, three, four, five, six. And um, before he does this, uh, it's formless and empty. So there's no structure, formless, and there's nothing filling the structure, it's empty. And perhaps just worth spending a few minutes just to remind ourselves the characteristic way that God works as creator. Um, So from the text that was read, uh, we've, we've got to... The thing about light here, and then we've got the thing about uh, waters, and then we've got the thing about water and land. So these seem to be spaces, and then in the next three days, so there's a structure, and there's the next three days, they're going to be filled with things, and we won't... um, Go into, try, try not to go into too much detail. Would anybody like to just sort of almost randomly pick out, out from that rich uh, text that we had read some of the uh, striking words or perhaps repeated words or key words uh, just to give us a flavour of what's going on here? Let there be. Let there be. Thank you very much. And uh, does God write this? How, does, how do we get those words? He speaks it, doesn't it? So, so the, the let there be is a spoken thing, which tells us something about the characteristics of God, that he's a speaking God. Um, this is a very important thing about God. He's a speaking God, which interestingly, we're made in his image, and we're speaking creatures. Uh, monkeys don't speak. I mean, they might go, ee, or something like that, but they don't have conversation. So God is a speaking God. Yeah, thank you. So that's yeah, anything else? God called. God called. So um, this is. Uh, give us the verse for that, Steve. Well, this is verse five. God called the light day and the night. Yeah, thank you very much. So he he names things. Yeah, uh, naming. Okay, thank you very much. And and. Uh, Later on, Adam names, doesn't he? He he's, he's brought, uh, he brought the different animals. Uh, I think of the Dylan song, Man gave names to all the animals. In the beginning. In the beginning. Like that. Yeah, okay, so naming. Yeah, other things? Pardon? God saw. Oh, yes, he sees things. Um, and what does he... So this is God as assessing, observing and assessing. And what sort of things does he... Could you give us a verse for that? What, how, how does it connect to anything? Yeah, uh, give us a verse, Bill. Thank you. That's uh, verse 4. Um, so he sees and he 
this is really a judgment call, isn't it? He, he judges, uh, and God is a seeing, judging God. He says, this is good. He judges things to be good. Thank you very much. I'm sorry? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So there's a sort of effectiveness, an infallible effectiveness to his word. Um, I I think if you were old-fashioned, we'd say effectual, but let's just say effective. A little bit like, similar to the words of Jesus when he says to Lazarus, come out. And the words don't fail, do they? They achieve, um, you know. Our words aren't quite like that. You know, if you say to the washing up, clean yourself, it doesn't work. But uh, God's word is different. It's powerful and effective. Yeah, thank you very much. I'd like, uh, anybody like to just tell us what's characteristic of God's action in each of those, what, what sort of things is he doing? I think that word is repeated. Well, I was going to say separate. Yeah. Um, What he seems to do, he seems to go like that and separate darkness from light and then go and then separate the water underneath from the water above and then go and separate the water from the dry land. So it's a sort of ordering process. Um, And where there was no form... He brings form, he orders and puts things into an order, separates things that are all in a muddle. This is this, it shouldn't be over there. This is this, that is that. (laughs) Separate them and put them in their right place. And there's a sense in which this um, ordering of creation is um, so important in God as, as creator. And this is what we see trying to be undone in the same-sex marriage thing, isn't it? Because God's put an order of male and female and uh, said what marriage is. It's when these two opposites come together in marriage. And that's how it is. That is the order of creation. And when, by legislation or voting or popular opinion, people say, oh, no, we'll, we'll put it in a different order, then we just damage ourselves because... That's not the order that God's put into creation. So this idea of ordering things is, uh, is a very key thing. And uh, I'm going to take us to Psalm 24. And perhaps we'll sing this if I've remembered to find the music. Psalm 24. <clears throat> Would... Somebody just read us the first couple of verses. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Thank you very much. Um, that, that great statement, a bit like what Kuiper was echoing, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, uh, everything in it. So... Um, it was formless and empty, but he fills it with all sorts of things, and that's his. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, uh, the mountains, the seas, the trees, the birds, the islands, it's all his and to his glory. So let's, uh, let's just break off and sing that if we can. I think it's, 
Psalm 24. I wrote down Psalm 24 in my notes, but let's just hope that I got that right. Oh, I was going to sing the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, but uh, let's just see. is the Lord's and everything in it, uh, the world and all that has been made. Would somebody get me some water so that I can clean this, please? Or a squirty thing? Oh, I'll just... Now then, when we start to use the word world, we fairly quickly encounter... uh, an issue. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. So please could we turn to um, 1 John chapter 2. Perhaps the way to introduce coming into these texts in 1 John is to say that we have creation in Genesis. Then we have something else that happens very soon after. Big thing that happens after creation? Fall. Um, yeah, sin enters the world. In English theology, it's, we use the word fall, meaning to go bonk like that. Fall. In French theology, we would say le rupture, meaning the split. And actually, the idea of a split is, is probably more like what the Bible says, that some things that were joined together and harmonious get split. Uh, but we use the word fall, so we're English-speaking, so uh, we'll, we'll say creation, fall. And of course, the whole story of the Bible is creation, fall, Redemption, isn't it? And that's the, the you know, we've things have we've been expelled from the garden, and the the long term plan of God through Jesus Christ is to restore, um, like it was meant to be originally. So it's like like a, a big episode of the repair shop. Uh, and, and it's not not a bad analogy because when they bring stuff into the repair shop. Uh, you've seen the, this program. Uh, in case you haven't, let me just tell you, they, they bring something they found in the attic. You know, it was an old telescope or something like that. And uh, it was something used by great-grandfather when he explored the, the Andes or something. So it has a lot of value. But it's all the tubes are all bent. The lenses are, are broken. You can see what it's meant to do. You can look through it, but it doesn't work at all as it should, and the repair, sh- they say, do you think you can do this? And Jay Blade says, well, I don't know whether we can do that. Can you think you can do that? And um, so the, the rest of it is they, they, they lovingly, carefully put it back together, and here is the thing restored. Um, and the, the person comes back in, and they say, have you managed to do anything? Well, I think we might have done. And they're oh, it's so wonderful. 
And that's really the story of the Bible, isn't it? That, that humans have been ruined by the fall, and the Lord Jesus lovingly, at great cost to himself, ensures that people are put back together and everything is going to be beautiful. No more sighing or sorrow or mourning or tears. Sin is no more uh, in, the, in the future kingdom. Right. Which I think helps us to understand this use of the word world. Chapter 2 of first letter of John, verses 15 to 17. Anybody like to read that for us, please? Chapter 2, 15 to 17. Thank you very much. Hold that thought. Um, chapter 3, verse 1. Shall I just be ruthless and ask somebody? Mark, could you read chapter, uh, 1, John chapter th- uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1? Thank you. Use of the word world again there. Verse 13 uh, of that same chapter. Um, Ruth, could you read that? Verse 13. You might as well read the next verse as well. Thank you. So another use of the word world there. And 4 verse 4. I think that's right. Yeah, 4 verse 4. Angela? Thank you very much. And there's another use of world in verse 5. Uh, I'm going to put those references up so that you can just look back at them. Would you like to um, find two other people and try and work out what this world is that he's talking about? Because we've just sung God made the world, it's all his, it all belongs to him, uh, and that's a great thing. And here in these verses, it says world is the very opposite of what God is. And uh, so... Could you just find two other people and work out from those verses what is meant by world here? I'll put the verses up on the board. The, uh, the doctrine of creation says that uh, uh, in terms of the lordship of our God and Saviour, he is people on the globe and here's uh, trees and uh, rivers and mountains and uh, islands and uh, rabbits and uh, uh, and he made all that and when it says do not love the world in 1 John 
chapter 2, verse 15, does it mean do not love mountains, rabbits? No. Okay, right. So it, it doesn't mean that. So uh, anybody like to start us off with what this is? It's a negative use, isn't it, here? It, it's, a, well, it, it, it's a negative thing. So what, 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 is, what is the meaning of world, do you think? Any ideas from the text that you read? Oh, right. Well, that would be really helpful. I knew what ephemeral meant. <laughs> okay. And there was a text for that, wasn't there? Was it? Did it? Wasn't it in one of those texts that this world is passing away? Doesn't it say there somewhere? Uh, pardon? I've just rubbed them off. Yes. Um, it was a. Chapter 2, 15, 16, chapter 3, 1, 13, chapter 4, verse 4. I'm pretty sure that one of those said this world is passing away, doesn't it? Um, Okay, so let's... uh, So it's a temporary thing. Okay, can we go any further? Does it include elephants and trees? This use of the world word? No. What what is it? it? It is restricted to... People. It is to do with people, isn't it? It's um, human. Humans without God. Sorry. Oblivious to God. That's another good word. Oblivious. Oh, that's a lovely word, oblivious. Oh, let's see if we can use that in a conversation this week. Oblivious. Pardon? Hmm? Oblivious. Yes. Okay, oblivious. Um, anything, anything else? Yeah. I did, yes, yeah. Um, I was thinking that the, the world is where creation, the road that creation, the whole of creation, including humans, has gone down, having turned away from God. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so we, we could say, so we could say sin, and we could say it's not just a group of people; it's a sort of a pathway. You, no, the, I, I, th- I think I would like to keep animals out of this. I think when it talks about, it says the world in, in chapter 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is from the Father, but is from the world. So I think that there's something specifically human about, or sort of conscious, but David was saying? Yeah. Yeah, um, we could... We, self. Um, another idea that the Bible would have as flesh. Um, 
And we're in the realm of human powers, human aspirations, human drives, human planning without God. So all those things just push God out of the way and, 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 and now we've got our own system and all the structures and uh, dynamics of that without God. This is the world. And the characteristics of it are things like in 2.16, the desires of the flesh. So it's the things that human beings desire, but without any sort of ordering, just go for it, whatever you, you desire. The desires of the eyes. You remember that uh, Eve saw the fruit, that it was desirable. Uh, desirable, to, say, for, to, to eat and to make one wise. Um, pardon? Yeah, the, the natural world is part of the fall as well, isn't it? Um, um, we live in a fall and the whole thing is... Worse. So I've used the word that... I'm sort of not quite sure whether I meant fallen creation, or, but anyway. Yeah, the, 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 the whole cosmos is affected by human sin. And the way in my simplicity I think about it is it's like a, a colour photo with all the colour taken out, so all you've got is black and white. Uh, and, and our world has changed from what it used to be and what it's meant to be. It had all the sort of spiritual vitality, if you like, I'm speaking roughly, taken out of it. What we're left with is the world and the flesh. And it isn't just... Uh, um, it isn't only human in the sense that there's a satanic force behind it, the world, the flesh, and the devil. There are, there are spiritual forces at work in this world system. But um, So we've got another set of ideas here. We've got creation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, and, uh, and that is a, a glorious and a good thing. And then we've got the world in this negative spent sense of uh, the human System, I think, you know, largely a human system, but open to spiritual forces, without God, and all the, that sort of sin and um, uh, corruption, selfishness uh, um, that, that goes on there. Okay, so let's. So that, that's a, another sort of theological screwdriver spanner to use as we as we go on a bit further. So let's just think about this this last one here. Uh, as you can see, I haven't been categorical in which word I'm going to use, but let's turn to Matthew So my question is, in, a, in a, a creation that God has made, which is, um, that he saw it, that it was good, but it, it's fallen, and we now have a, 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 a dynamic of the world going on, what does God think of this? So you, you could sort of cut to the chase and say, God says, 
That's it. Finished. I'm going to finally judge. I'm going to remove everything corrupt out of my kingdom and just have the perfect stuff left. And sometimes people say, why doesn't God do that? And I think the, the, the quick answer is, that's what he will do at the end of the world. And once that happens, there won't be any sort of um, period in which the gospel is preached, in which, uh, putting it from the human side, people are given the opportunity to repent, putting it from the divine side, during which God gathers in his elect. Um, that day of grace would be finished when God just um, takes up the, the harvest, throws the weeds on one side and, and gathers the wheat into his, into his barn. But we're not in that day. We're in the muddle of this day, which is a day of grace. And my question is, how does God deal in the day of grace? And, and uh, so Matthew 5 uh, Shall we take 43 to 45? Matthew 5, 43 to 45. Jack, could you read that to us, please? Uh, chapter, chapter 5, 43 to 45. Thank you. Um, according to this verse, why does the sun rise? Because God causes it. And according to this verse, why does rain come? He sends it. It's just worth noticing. Uh, this is talking about ultimate causes. There are other levels of causation. God um, causes the rain to come by sending a low-pressure area and making it meet um, warm air, and then the then the rain falls. He uses secondary causes, but the Bible says that he is the one sending the rain. And this working of God to send things to run the weather system, to run the solar system, is what, the, what theologians would call his providence, his, uh, his running things. I mean, his providence includes all sorts of things like the way he provides, but the, the great uh, sort of category here is his, is his providence. And noticing... How does he distinguish between the good, uh, the good and the evil, or the just and the unjust? In what way does he distinguish in these verses? It's a trick question. He doesn't. He, doesn't. he sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. He sends the sun on the just and the unjust. And so here's another theological term. Um, I'm not sure whether it's the best one, but it's called but, uh, common grace. The grace bit means it's not deserved, because the evil don't deserve to have the rain, but he sends it to them. And the common means 
he doesn't. He just gives it to everybody. Uh, um, you know, like a, a, like Ditchling Common is for everybody because it, they all share it. So common grace is God giving grace to everybody, um, and He doesn't distinguish between the the just and the unjust. And uh, God's common grace is at work um, all over. It isn't just the sun and the rain, is it? It's health and it's um, gravity. Um, It's gifts like marriage. You don't have to be a Christian to have God's good gift of marriage. You don't even have to be married in a church to have God's good gift of marriage. Um, God is kind to all sorts of people in all sorts of ways, um, very generously. Should we look at Acts 14? Acts 14, 16 to 18. Acts 14, 16 to 18. Acts 14, 16 to 18. David McAuliffe, could you read that for us? Hang on, hang on. Where are we? Verse, four, verse 16 to verse 18, please. Chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. Thank you very much. Um, so in verse 17, uh, where does rain come from? From heaven. Thank you. And where do fruitful seasons come from? I guess from heaven, yeah. And who was behind that? And where did he limit it to? He didn't. And um, if these people had full tummies at the end of a meal, who arranged that? God. And if they enjoyed fun and watching a duck walk and having a laugh, uh, where did that come from? From God. Uh, And what function, as well as giving people fun and food, and fruit, what function did it fulfill? Beginning of verse 17. Did not leave himself without he did not leave himself without witness. So it has a, a speaking um, or message quality to it. There is somebody who cares about people and gives them stuff, not just enough to survive, but he gives them full tummies, fun. Fruit, there is a generosity behind this universe, and you ought to find out who that is to say thank you. Um, you know, when you talk like that, I, I go back to the famine in Ethiopia. Yeah. And God is still God. Yes. 
How do you work that one out? Yeah. Yes. I think this is not the only way God speaks. Uh, when Paul was addressing these people, he would address them in an appropriate way. And presumably they did have full tummies. And he's saying, you know, the reason you've got full tummies is because of the God who made everything. And you should be worshipping him rather than these idols. That's not the only thing. That's not the only way God speaks. So in Revelation, you have the, the horsemen of the apocalypse, which bring war, famine, plague, division. Uh, and you have the trumpets, which do much the same thing. And uh, the message in Revelation is God sent all these things, but still people did not repent and did not turn from worthless idols. So, I mean, God is speaking in many ways. He's saying you ought to be grateful. You know, if you've got a full stomach, you ought to be grateful. And I think that's what he says to us Western societies. You know, we, by and large, have a high standard of living. And God is saying to us, do you think that you've got that all by yourself? Do you think you're entitled to that? Do you think you'll always have that? Because that's my goodness that's provided that to you. You should be so grateful. And then in, in, in his mysterious will, in other places, he says, um, this world is not right. Uh, the way people live is not right. You should be turning back to the Creator. Um, and um, sometimes God whispers to people in their pleasures, but I think as C.S. Lewis says, he shouts to people in their pain, repent. And God uses those different methodologies. And I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say that's what Scripture says. I don't claim to sort of be in charge of that or understand it or sort of um, justify it. Um, <clears throat> so common grace and God's providence. And I think we've got three uh, very useful theological tools here to think of creation and then to think of the way the fall has operated in producing this system of the world, and that God doesn't just disown the world and cast it all off. He, he will come to that judgment point at some point, but in this day of grace, God shows his grace, and we live in a world full of grace, and we shouldn't overlook that. You know, that all sorts of things around us are the, the fruit of God's common grace. Uh, um, Stand-up comedians, um, I mean, I know they, they can use a lot of rude words, but they're sometimes very funny, um, and they fill us with gladness, and we should say, oh, mm, you know, the, the Lord uh, provides humor and uh, uh, nice food. We, uh, we're quite a foodie place here in Brighton, aren't we? I don't know whether you can afford all of that, but... Uh, when you've had um, a nice meal, that's from the Lord, and it's right to be thankful. And everybody else who eats nice food should be thankful too. And when you go to the doctor and he manages to give you uh, something which actually heals you, and you go and have a, um, a technological hospital op which gives you a new knee or a new whatever it is, that's God's common grace. Um, and we should be grateful for all those things. So let me finish with uh, 
one verse, which is chapter uh, Colossians three sixteen and seventeen. And then somebody can think of a song to finish with. Colossians three sixteen and seventeen. Uh, Roger, could you read Colossians three sixteen and seventeen? Thank you very much. Uh, just focus on that last bit. Uh, we live in a world with elephants and hospitals and restaurants and churches. and This is all, but the Lord is there in all of it. I had a dear, uh, we, we used to have a coffee morning and there was a dear Pentecostal sister who came along and she said, one week she said, we've had a healing in our church God is still in business. I think, amen, well, that's great. But God's always in business. If the sun rises, God's in business. If the rain falls, God's in business. If we continue to breathe, God's in business. Uh, this is, he's constantly at work in his providence. And we should be aware of that, and we should be grateful. And whatever we do should be for his glory, not just the Bible studies and the prayer times, but everything in his world should be to his glory. So I pick up on verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's a great text, isn't it? Whatever we're doing, whatever we're doing this week, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'll stop there. Uh, If you have uh, time to sing a song and anybody would like to, we'll sing something.